From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on May 18th, 2022, so any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. How you doing, Beth? I'm doing well. How are you, Suzanne? I'm doing well. You know, we're heading into uh, one of the best seasons of the year, which is summer reading season. I'm seeing all kinds of summer um, book guides. Are you seeing a lot of like online summer reading guides coming out? If I were online, I might be seeing them. <laughs> but <laughs> Beth just got done with a pretty busy semester at undergrad school. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did. I Yes, it's, you know, I have another two-week course starting next week, but then nothing for the summer, and I will be just reading, I was going to say for sheer pleasure, which it always is, but it's also for work. Of course. But not for school. Good, good. I'm glad you're getting a little break, because you read enough for work. Yes. Like, I don't know how you keep up with school, but yeah, that's, you're amazing. Aw, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> awesome. Well, I am looking at your list. We both have, you know, quite a few books on our list today, and I'm looking at yours, and I see that some of them, you listened to them through Libro FM, and it reminded me of the conversation I had with Marlon James when I interviewed him for Marginalia. Name drop. Right? So... <laughs> When I was visiting with Marlon James for his book, Moon Witch, Spider King, which is the sequel to Black Leopard, Red Wolf, we had a little conversation about reading versus listening. And, you know, I want you to listen to what he has to say. All right. Have you heard the audio version of this book? (laughs) Because I I buy the books, but then I also Mm -hmm. buy the audio versions because I like to experience books simultaneously. I like to read while I'm listening. See, I just said that to somebody and they thought it was so strange. Oh, I love it. That's how I read because if I only listen to the audio, I get distracted. And if I want to read the words, I take forever. So it's almost like, I guess I'm back in dictation class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the way I can then do a book in like a week. Yeah, yeah. So he is on team read and listen simultaneously. Not only read and listen simultaneously, but this is a good time to remind people that listening is reading. You know, have you talked to people who are like, audiobooks don't count? It's been ages, uh, but I feel like I do see that sometimes on the Read ICT yes. Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't get that line of thinking at all. Audiobooks, of course, count as reading. They count towards your reading goals. They are reading. It's just a different way of taking in a book. But yeah, you're right. And Marlon, of course, is right. Marlon. <laughs> I call him Marlon. Um, he, of course, is right because I've had so many great experiences just over the last few months of listening to a book and reading it at the same time. And that brings me to my first read that I'm bringing to the show today. And that is the 1619 Project, A New Origin Story by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Now, of course, this has been in the news a lot. And you know, I like to read what people are talking about, especially in the areas of social justice and race. For those who haven't heard about it, first of all, where have you been? Secondly, (laughs) Nicole Hannah-Jones is a reporter for the New York Times. The New York Times published the 1619 Project in 2019. It kind of went bonkers nationwide. It was just a a different way of looking 
at American history instead of starting in, you know, 1776 or, or shortly before that or even with the first colonies, it starts with the first ship that carried slaves to the New World, and that was in 1619. So this has been in headlines. Every day you see something for or against this. It's been in all of the critical race theory arguments. It's been criticized for, you know, making too much of race. But here's what I want to say about it. First of all, it is a chunk of a book. It is a lot to get through. But the way I did it with listening on uh, Libro FM and then also sort of referring to my print copy was really, really good in this instance because... First of all, it's dense, and it's nice to sort of um, be able to take notes and stuff as you go, and you can't really do that easily in audio. Secondly, though, there are a lot of historical photographs in this book, so it's really nice to you know be able to see those. One thing I want to say about it is it's an important read. It is you know a difficult read in many senses, but it's structured in a way that's super accessible. So she has you know chapters on health and then another chapter on music or whatever and and it's not all written by her she's really the editor of this project some of the chapters are written by her but some so like the chapter on justice was written by brian stevenson the author of just mercy so you know you have all of these different voices which made it you know you know made it there was a variety there but also in addition to the sort of historical uh, more textbooky chapters uh, which are incredibly researched there are uh, interspersed poems, short fiction, all kinds of different, you know, ways of getting at this story. So it is a really important read, I think. You know, I got to the end of it and thought, yeah, there's so much I didn't know. And I mean, that's the whole point of this argument is that what we thought we knew about American history and so many other things, you know, is not the full picture. Anyway, I just, I really loved it. Um, again, I think that the audio print sort of simultaneously listening and reading this is a, a great way to go. That was the 1619 Project, A New Origin Story by Nicole Hannah-Jones. So what's your first read, Beth? My first book is titled When We Fell Apart by Soon Wiley. Soon Wiley um, has a Wichita connection. He received his MFA from Wichita State. And so it's fiction, and it is a story. It's told through alternating perspectives of two characters, Min, who is Korean-American young man who is living in Seoul, and Eugene, who is Korean, um, has grown up in one of the, you know, smaller cities in the country and moves to Seoul for her education. And so, I mean, at the very beginning of the book, Min discovers that his girlfriend, Eugene, is um, dead. And he's trying to figure out what happened. The police are saying it's suicide, and he had just left her. He said, there's no way this is suicide. So the whole book is a little bit mystery, but it's very literary. I mean, I would not shelve this in the mystery section. I would put it absolutely in, in literary fiction. But it does have an air of mystery about it because he's trying to discover what happened. And so we hear his story through third person, but then the, the next chapter will be Eugene, and it's told in first person. And it actually goes back in time. So we, we, you know, it starts when she's in high school in the small city, and then it just goes back and forth. And by going back and, and learning more about her life, we discover what happened. Um, anyway, it was really well done. I, I really just hesitate to call it mystery for some yeah. reason. So literary, literary mystery. Although, you know, is, so does it have vibes of like Miracle Creek? Um, I didn't or 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 a, or a Celeste Ng maybe like um, yeah I've never every, read her <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm thinking everything I never told you. Lovely Bones. I'm thinking of all these mysteries that start with dead you people. Know, let's, let's just say that I'm it's just also increasing the the list of books on right. our, on our episode list. Let's so. just say it's a really good read. Yeah, no, exactly. Why does something have to be categorized? That's the problem. <laughs> we try to put things into little pegs, pegs into holes, and not every book fits in those. Yeah. No, I that it's. So, I'm sorry. Is this his debut? Did this you is say? his debut. Wow. Um, it was published by Dutton. Which wow. Is, good right. for him. And hometown kid. And talk about hometown kid. I mean, he's not, not from, from here. here. He's, yeah, I think, from still, Connecticut we'll or New York City him. or something. <laughs> but his next book, his follow-up novel, is set in Wichita. So that's going to be one to read. Oh, he told you that in your mm-hmm. interview? Because you he interviewed did. him for Marginalia, I right? did, okay, yes. Okay, so that's one to listen to. KMUW.org. That's or right. wherever you get your podcast. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just recommend it. It's When We Fell Apart by Soon Wiley. Okay. Um, so my next read is uh, one I reviewed for uh, KMUW. It's, it'll be you can find that on KMUW.org as well. It's The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka. This was also my pick for Literary Feast uh, back in April. And when I picked it, uh, first of all, it's one of those little books that looks beautiful and looks like you could read it in a sitting. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I picked it. <laughs> it reminded me of Tin Man in that way. Oh, oh we're all, we're clutching our chests. Tin Man. <sighs> Such a good Loved book. that book. Sarah Winman. Anyway, um, so yeah, The Swimmers was um, marketed as a, you know, a story about this community of swimmers that meets every day at this pool. And then there's a crack in the pool. And what happens next? I mean, that's all you know <laughs> from the you know blurbs, from the book jacket. That's all you know. What it turned out to be was just this incredibly meditative sort of study on aging and memory and all these things that I was not expecting it to be. And in fact, I am so glad that we ended up discussing this on on Lit Feast because it was a virtual Lit Feast. It was a small but powerful crew of readers (laughs) there because I love when this happens, when I have one feeling about a book and then I talk to other people about it and they're like, Oh, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, and there was uh, a gentleman in this um, book club discussion who was just bringing up all kinds of great points about this book. But I don't want to give too much away because, like I said, they were marketing it as, you know, the way they are for a reason, I think. And um, what I initially thought was like a bait and switch turned out to be almost a metaphor. So I know this is all very vague, a vague description of this read, but let me just tell you that Julie Atsuka's writing is incredible. Her structure and technique, even down to the titles of her chapters, are very meaningful. And when you actually delve into it, look up what things mean, it really becomes a very meaningful kind of read. So that was uh, The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka. I'll mention, too, that she has a couple of prior books that I wasn't aware of. This is like her third novel, I believe. So I really kind of want to check into her backlist now. So what's next for you, Beth? What is next for me is Book Lovers by Emily Henry. I can't wait to hear about this one. <laughs> well, she was really popular on Book Talk. I, I <gasps> learned about her through our producers and marketing assistant, um, Haley Krausen and Carly Cooper, who are <gasps> listening in the next room. If you ladies would whoop, like to say whoop. hi, go ahead. Hi. hi. <laughs> <laughs> the Book Talkers. The Book Talkers talk. Book Talk Talk. So this is a book about books. It's a book about Love you know, that. publishing and, and whatnot. It follows Nora who is a literary agent, and she takes a vacation with her sister to this idyllic town in North Carolina. 
and it's where one of the novels of her authors where she sets her novels right so while she's there she runs into her literary nemesis who sh normally should be in New York but he happens to be in this small town because that's where you know he grew up so what I want to say about this book is you know she embraces all of the tropes that are out there. Enemies to lovers. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, also, it's like any Hallmark movie you've ever seen. Oh, you got to love it, though. And, you know, I was reminded of The Proposal with Sandra Bullock, that movie. I was reminded of um, The Holiday with Cameron Diaz. Oh, I love that cry. movie. I was reminded of so many things. But I have to tell you, my interview with Emily Henry was so delightful because she was you know, I, I want to say this is a romance. This would be great for a summer read, but it's it's very smart. I mean, it's a it's it's books first of all, but it's just it's a very smart, funny, quick paced romance. If that it, makes rom, sense. rom com, would you say? Yes, uh -huh. yes, absolutely. So I so want to read her. She wrote Beach Read, yes. right? Okay, and that was just all over everywhere, you mm -hmm. know, just all over, you know, the gram and the talk. <laughs> <laughs> all over Instagram and TikTok. I, I sound Did like such a, a completely <laughs> dorky. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I want to read Beach Read and I want to read this because I want to explore that whole romance genre. I think that I have mistaken impressions of what it is. And every every time I talk to someone who has had sort of the same hesitations that I do about that genre. They say, no, no, you know, jump on in. The water's great. <laughs> and it really sounds like it here. And it's set in North Carolina. Right. So that's my home state. That's that one, more re one more reason to read that. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that one out. And, you know, it was the indie next pick for May. Did you know that? Oh, yes. My producer told me. Thank yeah, you, Haley. That was, um, yeah, I, when I saw that, I was like, all right, okay. And maybe we should introduce what that is again, Indie Next. Oh, yeah. You you tell us from well, your, your years in uh, book marketing. <laughs> well, the American Booksellers Association has this Indie Next list. And Indie, you know, it's independent booksellers. Um, like, independent booksellers are, you know, like mom and pop stores that are not, you know, they're not web-based conglomerates. Yeah, and yeah, they're not big corporations and whatnot. But it's a group of stores that are all members of the American Booksellers Association. And so to help, you know, it's it's a two-way street to give help to booksellers and then to help booksellers give to publishers. Booksellers can nominate their favorite books that that are coming out that month. And the ABA puts together this Indie Next list, and it's like, these are the favorites of independent booksellers. Your bookseller has read this and is basically hand-selling this to you, even though you're not there in front of them in the store. They are saying, this is the book of the month that I want to champion, and so it comes out with the list. And there's always a top pick, and I think we've talked about... Yeah, Take My Hand Take was, My Hand yeah, was one. Was the top um, pick for April, Book I Lovers believe. is one. And then I think Haley told me another one that yeah. we're, we've talked to the Well, it's one. always just a, you know, like a little um, stamp of approval yes. from people who know what they're talking about. Yes. And I always really take that. <laughs> take that as a as a good clue that that's going to be a, a book to watch right or an author to watch right yeah but because yeah, it's not just one independent bookseller saying it it's enough booksellers have recommended this book 
it must have been quite a few booksellers saying this is the yeah, one. Yeah, because that's what happens is you get, and in, if you go to your independent bookstore, you can pick up the Indie Next list for free. It's a sort of a, a trifold mm-hmm. um, piece of paper that I always pick up because it's like, oh, what should I be reading? It's like the, you know, industry standard. It says number one, Indie Next number one pick. It's right, right on the cover. So, yeah. And, and we should mention here too, Libro FM, which we have been referring to in this episode. If you're not familiar with it, Libro FM is a way to get audiobooks that supports um, independent bookstores. And you can even support your local independent bookstore right. by plugging its name into your Libro FM account so that when you get an audiobook, it, the, the money goes to, to indies instead of, once again, um, big corporations that shall not be named. That's right. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so that was Book Lovers by Emily Henry. All right. So uh, speaking of Libro FM wonders, I've got to bring... My man, David Sedaris, and the <laughs> Carnival of Snackery. So I've had this book for a while. It's huge. It's over 600 pages. It's the second volume of David Sedaris's diaries. So the first volume was called Theft by Finding. This one is a Carnival of Snackery, and it's his diaries from 2003 to 2020. If you're not familiar with David Sedaris, and if you like to laugh, and if you're not easily offended, please go investigate him, because he is one of my absolute favorite authors, humorists, essayists. He's just incredibly funny. Got his start, of course, on uh, the Santa Land Diaries on NPR, on, on uh, This American Life, right? I believe, I believe so. Anyway, uh, so he's had multiple, obviously multiple collections of essays, uh, all of which I adore he is fantastic to listen to so he does he narrates his own audiobooks these diaries you know he writes in a diary every single day and has since his young adulthood that in itself is an incredible feat but when he visited back in the day when he used to visit bookstores pre-covid times he used to read you know excerpts from his diaries that's like one of the things he would do in during his his visits to bookstores so as i was reading Carnival of Snackery, um, I actually remembered a couple of the things that he had said when he was visiting Watermark on the tour for Calypso, his previous essay collection. So that was neat. The other thing to know here, um, this spans his life, a very interesting portion of his life. He's living in Europe. Um, It goes all the way to early pandemic times. Uh, He lost a sister very tragically. He deals with the aging and sickness of his father. So it's very different from those early diaries. His writing is so much more mature, too. Anyway, yeah, so I listened to this. Again, I'm going to say if you're if you're easily offended, I mean, he is an irreverent, just no holds barred, joke about anything kind of writer. But I love him. And oh, one more thing to say about this audiobook: It's narrated by two people, himself and Tracy Ullman, oh. uh, the British comedian, comedian, whatever, comedian, (laughs) woman, uh, because he said that people in the past have heard his audiobooks and assumed he was a woman. So he just decided to embrace that. And the portions of his diaries set in England, where he lives, were narrated by Tracy Ullman. And she has all these great accents. And she really, it's really fun, fun to listen to. So I highly recommend, especially the audio. That's A Carnival of Snackery, Diaries 2003 to 2020 by David Sedaris. What's next for you, Beth? My next book is Trust by (gasps) Hernan Diaz. I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) I'm like on the edge of my seat for your picks this this month. Every single, first of all, every single book that I'm talking about today 
I have visited with the author. Oh, great. So You have been a busy, busy gal. Not all of them have been published to Marginalia yet. Some mm-hmm. of them are coming up in the coming weeks. Right. But just know that you can probably find the interview with them. So Hernan Diaz wrote a book called Trust, and it's really four books in one. He called them four documents. And the first one, maybe this helps to know what you're getting into, because the first book is a, it's a novel written by a fictional Harold Vanner. And he is basically telling the story of this couple, this, like the richest people in the world. And it takes place in the early 1920s because this all has a lot to do with what happened on Black Friday in 1928, 29, when the stock market crashed. So you you get through this book, Bonds, and then you start to read the next document, which is an autobiography. It's an unfinished autobiography by Andrew Bevel. And he is the richest man in the world, the novel um, Bonds was written about him and his wife, although the names were changed. Everybody, he was mm. trying to, you know, say it was fiction, but everybody in New York knew that it was about them. And so Andrew Bevel was trying to write his own autobiography to like counter what was written about Correct him. Correct the yes, record. What was written about him in this novel? But it, you know, as you read it, it was it was unfinished, or it would be like insert. Oh, insert childhood anecdote here. Oh, I mean, it was like an, wow. it was the unfinished document. Like a sketch. Yeah, right. like almost an outline or something. And then the third book was um, A Memoir Remembered by Ida Partenza. And through her perspective, you, we receive even more information about the first two documents. Oh. It's, they're, you know, explained and revealed. And it turns out that she had penned the unfinished autobiography she was like taking dictation from him and then like rewriting it and making it better but then it it was just it was unfinished because there were still those holes in it and in her section we um you know she's 70 years old she gets to go into the bevel house i mean she finds out that the papers uh, the diaries of the wife are finally available they were never made available to her and, you know, there's a big mystery surrounding the wife and, you know, uh-huh. her mental health. And I am loving like that. this. I'm loving everything you're saying about this. <laughs> and so then the, the last section, the last document is actually the diaries of the wife. So wow, it was just it was remarkably done. I love I love an inventive structure. And that to me, oh, my gosh, that is catnip to and me. The very first book it can be a struggle to get through because you don't exactly know what you're reading. There was one sentence of dialogue. If you can call it dialogue where it's just one person saying something and nobody is replying and it's one word. Those were the only quotation marks in that whole book. The rest is sort of narration. Yes. Or, yes. Oh, and so, so I was able cool. to talk to Hernan Diaz about that. Yeah. And it was just, it was so interesting because he said, he had to create a style guide for each of the four sections wow. because they were written by four different people and they had four different objectives. And he said his translators really appreciated the style oh, guide. Oh, I bet. Wow. So anyway, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. This was actually hand sold to me by someone at the local indie. And um, he said, oh, yeah, this is just unforgettable. And, the you know, it's just Remarkable, I believe, is what he said about it. Because, yeah, and the way you're describing it, I just feel like I love those sort of 
character studies. There's really, really deep dive character studies where you see a person from all these different angles and perspectives. I'm totally in for this one. This is only his second book. Uh, his first one was a finalist for the Pulitzer. Oh, my gosh. His debut. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What was the title of uh, it? In the Distance. Okay. And he wrote this one during the pandemic. He had a fellowship with the New York Public Library, so he would be able to walk from his home in Brooklyn, walk to the New York City Public Library at Bryant Park, walk in. It was during the pandemic, so nobody was there. There might be a guard, and so he had, like, the whole library so to himself. walked so was, between the lions yes, and into yeah. his private writing retreat. Right. Wow. I can't wait to listen to that. So, so that is Trust by Hernan Diaz. So speaking of things written during the pandemic or pandemic-like, How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. I reviewed this for KMUW. It's online now. This came out a couple, few months ago, and it was kind of heralded as similar to Station Eleven oh, by Emily St. John Mandel. Well, I didn't think it was at all, for the record. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Um, so uh, this is a collection of... I sort of read it almost as a collection of short stories, and I would even say, you know, not very interconnected short stories. So it didn't really have that, you know, sort of through line that Station Eleven did. So that sort of caught me off guard. The quick setup for the book here is it's set in a post-apocalyptic time where a devastating plague has wreaked havoc upon the earth. Actually, the first chapter, uh, there's been a a mysterious death in the South Pole with some researchers doing some research into melting of the glaciers. Um, So there's this climate change sort of apocalypse mixed with the melting permafrost has basically unearthed this devastating plague from millions of years ago that then hits the current human population and just destroys it actually hits you know how covid was most um devastating to older people this is the opposite it's most devastating to children so that in itself is of course incredibly disturbing the book is super bleak i mean very very dark there is one chapter i'm not gonna give anything away it's early in the book it is still one i read it as i said months ago and i still think about it. It's almost, you know, a nightmarish scenario. So it it really does get into sort of how we deal with death and grief and all of our, you know, mental and physical and cultural um, ways to to handle those things. So it's it's an incredible exploration of those topics. I think it was a disservice to really compare it to Station Eleven because the only the only real similarity is, you know, the pandemic you know Mm -hmm. and I just think you cannot put all pandemic works and we're going to see more and more and more of them I think you can't put them all in the same little category so anyway that is um, How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu okay so my next book is titled Search by Michelle Hunovan and this the premise is is unique it is about a woman who is, I think, 54. I remember thinking she's my age. Yeah. So it's a, a woman. Mine too, for the yes. record. <laughs> <laughs> so Dana, she's a restaurant critic and food writer and a longtime member of the of a Unitarian Universalist congregation in Southern California. And she's been asked to serve on a committee, a search committee, 
to find the new minister because the current minister is retiring. So this whole book is just about the dynamics of the search committee because it's a year-long search and there are just different official steps that they have to do and site visits and questionnaires and um, like posing questionnaires to the congregation, giving them samples of what this new minister might look like and some of their qualifications. And, and you know, like some of them might say, it's time we had a woman, but given two samples, they never go with the woman and they, they go with wow. the... It, it was very interesting. And, and the dynamics of the search committee really can alter, I mean, it, it can alter the search because like in this book, one of the, um, one of the candidates who was this woman's favorite was just completely poo-pooed from the beginning by the youngest member of the committee. And she got two of the other young members of the committee to go with her. And so he was never going to make the cut. And then you find out later, (laughs) no spoilers, no spoilers. No, he, you know, this is going right to the top of my TBR, and I'm really? going to tell you why. Why? Because ain't no drama like church drama. <laughs> and church drama, because church drama don't stop. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> I don't even know what I mean by that. But here's what I mean is that book has a lot going on that, you know, just checks off things I love in books. One is anything about food. Two, church drama. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm all over it. I hope you have a copy of this that I, I can do. borrow. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, people might think, oh, it's this with recipes. It's fluff. It's not fluff. It's very serious. Wait, are there recipes? Yeah, in there it? are recipes. Oh, wow. That's, see, that makes it better. It's like, um, it's like uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Did that have recipes? I think so. If it did. I'm pretty sure it did. I'll have to go back and look. I I'm pretty sure it, I loved it too. Jay Ryan's Droddle. When is he coming out with a new one? I don't He's know. We due. should look at that. Uh, I love both his books. That would be uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest and Lager Queen of Minnesota. I just gave that book to someone the other day saying, you have to read this. It's, um, you know, a man writing in a woman's perspective that was incredibly amazing. Yeah. Sisters. Oh, gosh. Anyway, but yes. Okay. Um, well, back so, to me. Yeah, <laughs> back to you and your book about with the recipes in it. Why do people discount books with recipes in it? I, think I don't, I don't, I wonder if it's like a, and no offense, Diane Mott Davidson, I loved your books, but I wonder if it's something like that. She, Diane Mott Davidson oh. was this, she wrote a series of mysteries where, like, cozy caterer, mysteries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, people, you know. But it's also like, um, I don't know, there's all these food memoirs now and stuff. Right. Or like Water for Chocolate. That was a right. huge hit. And that had, I believe that had recipes. If it didn't, it should have. <laughs> um, well, anyway. Michelle Hunovan is a James Beard winner oh, because of her writing, because yes. of her food writing. Oh, that's fantastic. I am all over that book. Another interesting thing, listen to the interview because it was well. fun. It hasn't published yet. But listen to the interview when it comes out because... I got to talk to her a little bit about, she wrote a piece for the Paris Review about being fictionalized, and it had to do with, oh, T.C. Boyle wrote a book, and she could tell that this character was based on her. And it's like, well, do, do you get mad about that? Or, how, I mean, you can't control it when somebody takes your stories. Wow. And I don't know. It, it was it was interesting. It was an interesting article, and it was an interesting conversation about yeah. that. Yeah, what so. was the you remember what the T.C. Boyle book was? I'm just curious. I do not remember, yeah. but huh. I could, no, we could right. find it in the Paris no, no. Review. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just an incredible dive into human nature and group dynamics with recipes. And the book is Search by Michelle Hunovan. All right. Good one. What do you have? Uh, I have next a short story, the only short story that the great Toni Morrison ever wrote, Mm. Recitative. So this story was initially published in 1983, but it has just been republished. It's just a tiny little thin book, 96 pages or so, but half of that is an introduction by Zadie Smith. Oh, interesting. So I listened to this one on Libro FM as well, and it's very short. You can do it in one sitting. The story itself is only about 45 minutes. Uh, the introduction by Zadie Smith is another 45 minutes. So total, it's an hour and a half, right? Did I do that math? Ooh, math. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> it's an hour and a half. But here's what I would suggest, first of all, to anyone who's not familiar with this story. I was not. And I need what what this made me f- realize is I need to read a lot more Toni Morrison. Um, and probably everyone does. <laughs> um, but I had not read this story before, and so the way it's structured, you know, in both in the book and and in the audio is the introduction first, <laughs> because it's an inter- introduction. But Zadie Smith goes really into, it's like taking a class from Zadie Smith, and she narrates it as well. And she delves into all of the, you know, the ins and outs and details of this story. Well, you know, if you haven't read it yet, mm. it's sort of lost on you. So I would... Highly recommend, you know, if I were to do it over again, I definitely would have listened to the story first and then gone back and listened to or read Zadie Smith's introduction. It would have been much, much more meaningful to do it in that order. But not to give too much away, um, the idea behind it, from what I understand, is it was an experiment in language and race. So uh, there are two characters in this story two girls growing up, Twyla and Roberta. All we know is that one is white and one is black, but we don't know which is which, and we never do. We never know for sure which is which. And it's an incredible sort of um, look at our stereotypes, our assumptions, because, you know, you know, on one page you're like, oh, okay, I know that Twyla has to be the black girl. And Roberta's the white girl. But then it just flips. She flips it on its, Hmm. you know, side again and again throughout this story as these girls grow up. You know, one is poor, one is not so poor, you know. Um, It's an incredible feat of writing and language. And just I I was in awe of Toni Morrison's writing on this one. So it would be fantastic for your short story um, discussion group. Okay. Um, Check it out. It's Recitative by Toni Morrison. Okay, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my next book is The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. All right, Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah, she she won the Pulitzer for A Visit from the Goon Squad, and this is a companion piece to that novel, which was written in 2011. Some of the minor characters show up. So it's not necessarily a sequel, but a companion piece. And I visited with Jennifer Egan, and she told me she actually thinks it would be interesting for people to read The Candy House before A Visit from the Goon Squad if you have not read uh, That would be Goon me. Squad. Right. So Okay, good. Nice. Thanks for the tip, Thanks, Jennifer. Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I guess I would probably call it connected stories, except she wouldn't even call them stories. They're just chapters. It's, it's like there might be a very minor character in the first chapter, and then the second chapter is all about that character. 
And so, okay, so let me just tell you what the book is about. She imagines a world where technology can capture and preserve memories, making them accessible to almost anyone. One of her characters is basically the guy who invented social media. And then he invents this way to, his company is called Own Your Unconscious. And so people can put on these probes and upload their memories. And it could be because they want to go back to their third birthday because they don't remember their third birthday. But if they upload it, they can go back and relive it and re-see it. But then there's this thing where if you agree to share your memories, then that grants other people access to them, but then that you get access to the people who have shared their memories. And so, so it's almost a little sort of social media esque. Yes, yes, exactly. Wow. There are good parts. Crimes are solved because you can see what actually happened. But then there are bad parts because who's to say you're getting the entire story? What happens if you click off the memory right before they said something? Or what happens if you go on this trip and your dad said, I really don't want to go on this trip with my daughter. And it would be crushing oh, to know yeah. what people were really thinking. Wow. So it's very, it's, it's interesting. The format is interesting because you have different points of view. She had like a checklist of everything she wanted to accomplish writing wise. And it might be a uh, one novel was epistolary because it was all emails going back and forth, but you could see who was BCC'd and then you can see like the sub conversations going on behind the other person's back. And cool. Really interesting. One, one chapter was like this field manual that was written. It, it was almost like it was the spy. And so you could tell that these, these instructions were being written as she was as these things were happening to her, because it was, would be like this voice, this monotone voice saying, if you are going to approach the mansion, make sure that you wear sensible shoes. If you do not wear sensible shoes and you're regretting the heels you're wearing now, make sure that you take off the heels and toss them. I mean, it was just wow, kind of like that. Sort of like a narration of it your was, life kind of thing? It, but it, like was, it was almost like she was compartmentalizing it oh. and writing a field guide for whoever might have to do this next. And that chapter was actually published on Twitter. That sh it was like a short story on Twitter. That I think that's In where she started. In actual Twitter, you yes. mean? Oh. Back when it was only 120 characters. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm incredibly intrigued. Now I have a question for you. Yes. You listened to this one yes, on audio? Yes, I was just going to say that. Okay, well... Um, so it did that did not take away from the experience because when I'm imagining like emails going back and forth, did that get weird or hard to track on audio? There were so many actors who played the voices. Oh. Every chapter was a different actor. Oh, that helps. And in like like the email chapter, if it was an email from Lulu, you would hear Lulu's voice, and the reply would come from Raymond's voice. Or but whatever. then she would say BCC so and so and so. Yeah. And so. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I've got to check that one out. And there was, I do have to say, and I need to find out who who the actor was for this chapter, because I asked Jennifer Egan if she had listened to the audiobook. She had some say in who the actors were. And there was, um, one of the chapters was called Rhyme Scheme, and the character's name was Lincoln. Props to whoever you are, actor, dude, because it was incredibly done. The it narrator was, of this chapter? Yes. Oh. It was so incredibly done. It was, now it, I really want to listen to it. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, don't give anything away, right. but I just want to say The Candy House? Like, that is well, the weirdest title well, for it has to do <laughs> what with, you're describing. You know, it's a warning. This is a quote. 
Nothing is free, only children expect otherwise. Even as myths and fairy tales warn us, never trust a candy house. It's like Hansel, Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm intrigued. You are bringing, you are really piling on the books onto my own TBR today. Yay. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I need. Well, I just said I need some more stuff for the summer, right? That's right. <laughs> oh, that one sounds fantastic. Yeah. Candy House by Jennifer Egan. Yeah. Really well done. All right. All right. So my last book to bring today is another one I reviewed for KMUW. So it's online, that review. Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukafka. I loved this book. Again, with the unusual story structure, it takes place in the span of one day, and that is the last day of this man's life before he is executed. So the main character, uh, his name is Ansel, Ansel, whatever. He is uh, on death row facing execution for multiple murders. We know that from the beginning. The chapters like basically count down, but it goes back and forth through time. Uh, We go through basically his whole life from his very, very early childhood and all the trauma that took place there. But what's interesting about this particular novel is she tells it through the perspectives of the women in this man's life. Um, So we see his mother and everything that she went through. We see him relating to a girl that he's placed with in foster care. We see him uh, with girlfriends and wives and sort of a detective that ends up trying to piece this whole thing together. It is a mystery. It's a character study. It is fantastic writing. It's incredibly propulsive. The story pulls you along, but the characters are well-developed and interesting and unique. It deals with issues of, you know, can someone be born inherently evil? It has definite vibes of the push by Ashley Audrain, which was my favorite read from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole sort of what makes someone good and evil. Um, also, you know, our approach to serial killers and how you know our you know almost obsession in this culture with. I mean, you took a serial killers class, yes, yeah. I did. This, and I'm sure you guys talked about this, but this whole you know how. How does the media treat them? How should the media treat them? All of that. And then there's this whole little side, exciting plot storyline that also will keep you reading. I just, I can't say enough good things about this book. I will say, and I said it in my review, her first book, Girl in Snow, came out many years ago and I read it and it was, I'm sorry, just completely forgettable to me. Like I did not even remember that I had read it. And this one was so impactful. So way to go, Danya Kukafka, on your sophomore novel. Absolutely loved it. It was Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukafka. Okay, my next book, and I have two more. All right, that's all right. Uh, my next book is narrative nonfiction. It's called River of the Gods, Genius, Courage, and Betrayal in the Search for the Source of the Nile by Candace Millard. And I just listened to your uh, Marginalia podcast oh, on this. Thanks. Fantastic interview. Yes, you've got to go listen, folks. So Candace Millard is known for, she said that people call it like slice of life biographies. She will take a person who we, we know, but she will like examine like a four-month section of that person's life. Like micro history, is that yeah. what they call it? Per- that's what Suzanne Perez calls it, I hear. <laughs> so, like, everyone should call it. Her first one was when Teddy Roosevelt um, was trying to navigate the, um, the Amazon. Her second one was about President Garfield and his 
you know, he was, there was an assassination attempt on him. He died, but not from the bullet. He died from medical malpractice. The third one was about um, Winston Churchill in the Boer War. So it was like before he became Winston Churchill. And so, you know, her books are beloved. She lives in Kansas City. She was married in Wichita. She has a Wichita connection. She married a, a gentleman from Wichita. But she is world-renowned. I always pair her with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Oh, But I guess they're different. Yes. But they are like the sort of pinnacle of historical, you know, sort of narrative historical nonfiction. She puts so much research into her books, and she has to make sure that there's enough material like diaries and people will ask her, well, how do you know that this dialogue took place? Well, I, I, it was in so-and-so's diary. And so she has to make sure that she has enough material. And you listen to the podcast, so you heard me ask her about Marie Curie. Yes. Because she really wants to do a, a story about her, but she can't because... I need more stuff. Yeah, she's like, yeah. well, she went to the lab again today, wore one of her two dresses that she owns. I mean, that Gosh. there's no information there for her to make right. a, a narrative. And that... Um, in this book, the way you describe the the three the threesome of this ca- these characters these three men uh-huh. the two you know white European men and then the the other the man, former yes. enslaved man yeah I should probably say what you know what this book is about oh, because yeah, yeah. they they're, they're trying to find the source of the Nile duh okay let's move on yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing a very Never good job here <laughs> so it it's about these um the like you said these two Europeans Richard Burton and John Hanning speak. And they were rivals. They had to work together on these expeditions, but they were rivals. And it wasn't until Sidi Mubarak Bombay joined the expedition. He was formerly enslaved, and he had returned back to Kenya, Zanzibar, Tanzania, and Uganda. He had come back, and he helped them with expeditions. And she thinks he was the hero of this whole book. Now, this book is different from her first three in that it doesn't take a four-month slice of life and just focus in on it these expeditions took 10 years so this was you know a bit of a departure for her but still the same great Candace Millard a longer span of time but really delving into these particular three characters right Right. yeah that that that's very intriguing to me you know I don't normally read historical um, well her things, her histories are different i know they, they I just, need it's, to it's really like elizabeth gilbert that. you know it's creative mm-hmm. nonfiction. yes i yeah i can't wait yeah yep. so river of the gods by candace millard and this next book you're going to talk about yes. our last one today super excited about oh good it yeah. is called this time tomorrow by emma straub she's a novelist she's an independent bookstore owner she is the daughter of Peter Straub, who is an author. So she had already pitched an idea to her agent, and they were going forward with it. But she, I think she was struggling with it, perhaps, during the pandemic. And so she said it was during a visit to her father in the hospital. She was saying how she was struggling with the writing. And he said, why don't you write a book about visiting your father in the hospital? And so that's what she did. And so this book... She told me it's not a spoiler to say we're talking about time travel. This is a time travel book, but it's a deep time travel book. Literary. Yes, it, <laughs> it is literary, and it has to do with, you know, grief about coming to terms with death. It's about life choices. It's about basically she wrote this for herself. She did not have a fan in mind. 
you know, the people on our marginalia team who read this, we've all taken different things away from it because we are all at different times in our life and, you know, have different experiences, you know, like my father has already died. So I was reading a different book than Haley was reading, for example. Or like if you have aging parents. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this was a quote that Haley had picked out. Maybe that was the trick to life, to notice all the tiny moments in the day when everything else falls away. For a split second or maybe even a few seconds, you had no worries, only pleasure, only appreciation of what was in front of you. And so, you know, with a book about time travel, that is important to notice what is in front of you. Live in the present. You know, in the when the book begins, her father is in the hospital. And so she accidentally does this time travel, doesn't realize what's going on. And what's funny is that she'll bring in all sorts of science fiction books or movies. And it's like, okay, well, in Outlander, she just had to touch some rocks. And Back to the Future oh, took I a love car. That. <laughs> Peggy Sue got married. Did she really time travel? And, you know, they're 17 again and 13 going on 30. And so she would try to study these and it was a, oh, that's for me, funny. It was so inter- cultural references. Yes, too. it was an interesting way to introduce plausibility by looking at outlandish fiction, things that we are familiar with. Right, though. that's right. interesting. So I thought that was fun, oh, yeah. but you know, her father is ill in the hospital, and so she has this opportunity to keep kind of going back in time. And every time, it's like, like the first time she makes him promise to quit smoking, and then the second uh, time she'll say, "Let's go for a walk." Or I mean, she's uh, trying to fix. What's happening? Why? The yes. Why he's yes, but oh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to read that one either. What's the title again? This time tomorrow by Emma Straub. All right. Well, that was a lot of great books today, Beth. I'm tired. I know. Wow. I'm tired and I'm excited because I need to now round up every single thing you've read. <laughs> the well, past I have month. it. All right. I will be grabbing those. Okay. Well, this sounds like a, a good place to stop. So thanks for joining us for Books and Whatnot. Until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye, Beth. Bye, Suzanne. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org. Thank you.